Jim, it looks like uh, you not only wore out the kids, you wore out the parents too with that all-nighter. I asked Jim how he was doing this morning. He said he didn't sleep for 36 hours. Uh, he couldn't get to sleep yesterday when they got back, and he uh, slept to his alarm this morning. I told him uh, that I would have a bunch of wads of paper here, and if he fell asleep, I'd be winging it at him. But I won't. I'll let you sleep unless you snore, and then I'm going to have to do something about that, okay? Good to be here with you all today. We really do have a wonderful, wonderful Savior and Lord. And uh, our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 35 through 38. And Jesus is talking with his disciples here, and he says, Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields, they are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap uh, what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for the wonderful treasure that you have entrusted to your church, to your people, in your word. We thank you, Lord, that um, that it is uh, your word that it communicates truth to us that we can rely on it and trust it completely because as your word it has come from you and we thank you Lord that you have for each of us here spoken to us at different ways and different times through your word and that you've drawn us to yourself you've made us aware of the blood of Jesus Christ your son whom you sent into this world to die in our place and to pay for our sins. We thank you, Lord, that it's your word that guides us in our way, that it's a light for our path and a lamp for our feet. And Lord, we ask that as we gather around your word now, that once again you would speak to us, that we would hear your voice and that we would embrace what you say to us and that you would give us the grace and the courage to put into practice what you say. And as for me, Lord, I ask that you would allow me to disappear behind the wonderful cross of Jesus Christ that he and he alone would be exalted in our midst this day. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So years ago, I, uh, I uh, read something that really intrigued me. 
I've forgotten the source. It was really a long time ago. And and I've never really been able to verify whether it's true or not, but it will uh, serve, I think, as an illustration to help us to understand a particular spiritual truth. And, and I read that if you were in a hole that was deep enough, maybe at the bottom of a deep mine shaft, that you'd be cut off from all of the daylight, that it could be bright and sunny at the top of that hole. And unless the sun was directly overhead, if you were to look up out of that hole, that you would actually see the stars as though it were nighttime. And if you were in that hole long enough, you would lose track of time, and pretty soon you wouldn't know whether it were day or night. But if there was somebody at the top of the hole, they could see. They would know whether it was daytime or nighttime. And although you couldn't see it for yourself, uh, they could tell you, and you would know what was going on there. You couldn't see it, but you would take it by faith. Well, much of reality is like that. Our existence is more complex than simply the things we see. So as believers, we accept that. We believe that God created everything there is, including you and me, and that he created it with a purpose. And we also believe that he is active. He's at work in our world in many, many different ways. Ways, some of which we are already aware of and others we become aware of as we grow in our faith and still other ways in which we won't understand until this life comes to its end. And it's also part of what makes us who we are that we accept the fact that the one who spoke the universe into existence still speaks today. He has given us his word. He's given us the Bible, which is inspired. The Greek word for that is literally God-breathed, the word that was made up by the writer to try to express the truth of what we have in the Bible. It's inspired. It's inerrant. It's authoritative, and it's complete. It gives us everything we really need to know as beings who have been created in the image of God and who are intended to dwell with God forever, but who have fallen from our high place because of sin. And if I can put it this way, God sees things as they really are. It's as though he's on the top and we're down in a hole. But he's telling us, all the time, he's telling us what things are really like. And the question for us is, do we believe him? Will we take him at his word? Do we trust him enough to act on what he says to us? Well, the text that we're going to look at today tells us something that we cannot see for ourselves. When we look around us, we don't see it. But he does, and he tells us. So let's see what he has to say to us today, and I'd like to ask you to join me in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, where we're going to be looking at just three verses, verses 1 through 3, Luke 10, verses 1 through 3, or you can look together on the screen on either side of you. 
So verse 1 here in this passage really introduces us to the truth that Jesus reveals here, that God reveals here to us in his word. And so Jesus is going to send out his followers to prepare the people for his arrival. And so we read in verse 1, after this, that is, after Jesus has just been talking with his followers about some of the costs associated with uh, being uh, his disciple, he he goes on, he says, after this, it says, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And so Jesus sends his followers to prepare, prepare people for his arrival. And most commentaries, when they look at that number 70 or 72 in your text, see as a reference to either uh, the number of people who helped Moses lead the nation of Israel or the number of nations that existed in that day. The educated people in that day believed there were 70 nations in the world. And, and so maybe both of those pictures are in view. God wants to reach the whole world, and he's calling his people to do so. And so that verse introduces us to our topic today. And then we come to verse 2. And at the beginning of it, Jesus tells us one of those things that we cannot see for ourselves. He, he tells us there that there are many people who are right now ready to be brought into the kingdom of God. And so verse 2 we read, he told them, the harvest is plentiful. There is a multitude of people. That's what plentiful means if it means anything here in this text. That are ready now, today, tomorrow this week to be brought into the kingdom. And that's what the harvest is all about. It's about bringing people into the kingdom. So there is a seed time and there's a harvest. You, you plant the seed and the sun shines and, and the rain comes and then when it's ready, you harvest the crop. And what we're being told here is that the seed has already been planted and the rain has come and the sun has already shone and it's time to take in the harvest, and it is an abundant harvest. But we don't see that, do we? I mean, we look around us, and we see plenty of people who need the Lord, but we don't see the harvest. When we look around us, mostly what we see is darkness. And I, and I don't want to rehearse the litany of evils that plagued our nation and our world. They certainly are there, and they are certainly real. And we may not fully comprehend uh, their extent or what they mean, but we, we see them. We know they're there. But if it wasn't for God, who sees things as they really are and tells us what he sees, we wouldn't know. All we can see around us is this darkness, but God is at work. And, and there is this harvest, and it's a plentiful harvest, and it's ready right now, even if we don't see it. Now, I became a Christian when I was 25 years old. And at that time in my life, I rode a Harley-Davidson motorcycle. I shaved my head. I had a beard and an earring. And I wore chains on my clothes. And I had a bad reputation. There was one guy, however, who wasn't afraid of me. His name was George Wingfield. And 
he had the courage to come and talk to me about Jesus. So I worked a midnight shift at a 7-Eleven store. And every night for about two weeks, George came into that store and he opened up and showed me from that book God's offer of salvation. And then one night at 2 o'clock in the morning, in the back aisle of 7-Eleven store, I got down on my knees and I asked Jesus to come into my heart. And my life has never been the same. Thank God he changed me. It's a lot of work he has to do in me yet, but the process has begun. And after I got saved, there were all sorts of people who came to me and told me that they had wanted to talk to me about Jesus, but they, they were afraid to. And then they thought that I really wouldn't listen to him anyway. And, and, and what they didn't know was is that I... God was at work in my life. I, I was reading the Bible. My grandmother was praying for me. I was looking for answers. And they couldn't see any of that. They couldn't see what God saw. But George took God at his word and he spoke up. And I'm here today because he did. And the spiritual reality is this. There is a harvest and it's ready today. It's ready now. It's ready tomorrow. It's not something for the future. It's ready now, and it's plentiful. And it might seem dark all around us, but God is telling us what it's really like. And you do understand, don't you? At least I hope you do, that our economy and the society and the political realm can be falling apart all around us. It can be coming off the rails, unraveling before our very eyes. And revival can still happen in the midst of all of that. A harvest is plentiful. It's true that the seed has to be planted before we can harvest. But what our scripture reading told us today is that the seed has already been planted by others. And we are going to come along and we reap the benefits of their hard work. Of course, while we're out harvesting, we may really be planting seeds that will then come up and others will come along later and reap the benefits of the work that we've done. But that's okay. That's how it all works. So Jesus is telling us here that there's this multitude of people that are ready to be brought into the kingdom of God by putting their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. And that's true even if we don't see it when we look around. But he also tells us something else in this first sentence of uh, verse 2 that maybe we think we do see and yet maybe we don't see it quite as clearly as we think. And that is, is that there are not enough people working at bringing in the harvest. And so we read here, he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Jesus knows that the harvest is ready, and, and he also knows that there are not enough people bringing it in. And the picture that's being painted here it's something like this. You, you may have been there in Kansas. Maybe you've seen a photograph of it, of the landscape there. And, and maybe some of the places you've been or the photographs you've seen, maybe there's a house there, maybe a barn, maybe even a windmill. But everywhere you look all around you, 
field after field after field. And, and the crop is in. And the sun has shone. And the rain has come. And that vast field is ready to be harvested. And you look to the right, and maybe there's one or two people there. And you look to the left, and the same story there. And you begin to wonder just how this handful of people will bring that crop in before it's too late. If you could see that world with the eyes of our Lord sees it, that's what you would say. As it is, you don't really see that. You simply have to take his word. And I want you and, and me, I want us to realize, I want us to grasp both with our hearts and our minds what we're being told. You see, the next sentence says that God is the Lord of the harvest. It's his word. It's his word that's been cleaned. And all of the other things that needs to happen, that happens, sunshine, the rains come, people have prayed, people have talked to him. God's gotten that harvest ready. make sure that everyone who is ready will be brought in. You have to tell you something. The text does not give us any assurance of that. Even though that's what we want to believe. Nor do you really find that kind of assurance in other places in the Scripture. But the Scriptures do give us uh, an abundance of evidence that the things that we do or don't do in this world have eternal weight and consequences. That God has designed this world in such a way that we make a difference, either for good or bad, by the things we do. Now, I have to tell you, I, I, I really do believe that, that God isn't going to let the fruit die on the vine, but, but I don't know what he might have to do to bring it into the harvest, bring that harvest into the barns, if, if we're not willing to work. It's incalculable. It's unknowable, and I think much good will be that otherwise would have been would be lost. It won't happen, never will. And imagine maybe him sending a great windstorm that somehow gathers that harvest into the barn. Well, your own house is destroyed in the process. So Jesus is standing up top, and he's looking down. He knows, and he sees things as they really are, and he tells us that there's a multitude of people that are ready to put their faith in Christ to be brought into the kingdom. And although there's still a seed that has to be planted for the future harvest, much of what has already been planted has had the rain, it's had the sunshine, and it's ready. There are not enough laborers. There are too few. Yeah, I, I just want to stop right there. I, I want to ask you, do you believe this? Am I making this up? Or is this the truth of God's word? The harvest is plentiful. And 
the workers is too few for the task. And so if we trust Jesus and if we believe him, if we really believe that what he's saying is really true, then what are we supposed to do? Well, there are two things that we're to do, and if we really trust Jesus, then we'll do it. And the first thing is the most important. The first thing that we're supposed to do, first off, is to pray. And so we see that again in verse 2. Ask the Lord of the harvest. That is, pray to the Lord of the harvest, therefore to send workers out into his harvest field. There aren't enough laborers, Jesus said, so pray. Pray that God will send others out into the field. So if you were to see a house on fire, right, you could grab a hose and you could start trying to put it out all by yourself. Or you could stop and you can call the fire department. And if you stop and call the fire department, then many men with trucks and hoses and other equipment will come and maybe even other fire departments themselves. And you'll have a better chance of saving the house. That's what praying for God to send laborers into his harvest field is like. And once again, we come face to face, I think, to that amazing power of prayer. I mean, praying will do more to bring in the harvest than all of your other efforts, whatever they are, whether it's witnessing or doing good deeds or giving money or supporting missionaries. Jesus tells us the situation, and he tells us the first thing we need to do is pray. And you may be sitting there thinking, well, if God wants people to work in the field, why doesn't he just send them? Why is it that we have to pray? And the truth is, my friends, is because God has designed this world in such a way that the things we do matter. They make a difference for good or for bad. And God has put at our disposal, at our use, most powerful spiritual tool that there is, and it's prayer. I have to tell you, I don't know that I really understand how all that works. We talked together the last time about how we communicate, and we can communicate on different levels. And I, I can walk up and I can put my hand on my wife's shoulder, and that physical touch communicates to her. We can communicate like we are now on a, an emotional and social level. But then there's this this spiritual communication that happens. Friend of mine, Mike, was at a conference one time, and everybody walking around the halls, and there was a janitor there. Different people nodded and spoke to him. Mike felt like God wanted him to love that man, so he just made up his mind that he would. And, and, and when Mike spoke to him, he just brightened up. And, and every time he saw Mike, the look what came on his face. Again, there's that spiritual communication that, that happens. And maybe somehow as we're praying for, for our God, to our God, that those prayers somehow touch the heart of someone who, who God's already working on. And your prayer, even though nobody really knows you're even doing it, is just one more tool that God uses to bring about the desired result. And that tool is one of truth is, whether we see it or not, and whether we accept it or not, there are many people who are ready to put their faith and trust in Jesus. There just aren't enough people willing to do the work. 
So if we believe Jesus and we trust him, then the first thing we need to do is pray. And then the verse 3 tells us the next thing that we need to do, and that is we are to pray, and then we're to go and work in the fields ourselves. And he says, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. There aren't enough laborers. So if you believe that, if you believe Jesus, then pray. And then help answer that prayer by going yourself. Call the fire department and then pick up the hose and get busy. You can't do as much as all of you together, but you can do your part. And you know, the interesting thing about prayer is that when it's genuine and when it's not just lip service, not only does it make a difference out there, it makes a difference in here. Your prayer changes things and your heart is changed through that process. Now, when you think about the Lord's Prayer for just a moment, you know, uh, everything that you ask God in that prayer, you can have a part to bring about, right? And, and the most clear in that maybe is uh, praying for your daily bread. You pray for your daily bread, and then you get up, you go to work, and you go to a job, right? You want to be forgiven, and so you have to forgive your enemies. If you want God's name hallowed, then you ought to honor it yourself. If you want his will to be done, then you should do that yourself. And if you want to see people, you want to see people saved from hell, from eternal darkness and sorrow and remorse and regret and suffering and an eternity separated from God and everything that is good. And the first thing you do is pray then you go. And I know that's hard. And so did Jesus. See, he knew that he was sending us out like lambs among the wolves. He told us that. He himself told us that. He knows. He knows how you feel. And he tells us to go anyway. You know, in the margin of my Bible, I have written a question. What can a lamb do against wolves? The answer is nothing. Nothing except look to the shepherd. And this is the issue before us. Know the truth. God's word has told us what that truth is. The harvest is plentiful, and the wolves are out in force. Do we trust Jesus? Do we believe? Will we pray? Father, I, uh, I know how many times in my life I have um, put off saying something to someone. Thinking there's still uh, tomorrow, another day, another 
the truth is known, Lord. We simply didn't have the courage to do what I plainly asked you to do. Help us. Help us to see things as they really are through your eyes. Help us to be faithful to pray. And help us to go. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.